you said quantum mechanics it's about micro uh, uh, local phenomenon in some sense music is like that so you have the creation of the particle it just comes into being and goes out of being to use a language to describe it in some sense music when you play a note comes into being and it goes it's like a dance of elementary particles there and we have all these super supersymmetric structures super theories of supersymmetry and things like that to describe this phenomenon of quantum mechanics and gravity Welcome to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. I'm Joe McHugh, and this is part two of my interview with David Balankrishnan and Purna Prajna Banjore. David is a violinist and composer, a member of the Turtle Island String Quartet, while Purna is a highly regarded mathematician and leading proponent of the violin music of southern India. We begin with David talking about their special musical collaboration. My role in this project is serving the uh, goal of expanding the language of Indian classical music, which he calls metaraga, which he uses this mathematical aspect of which he'll speak to. Then my uh, response is to take where he's pointing at and bring in elements that I have evolved over the years in my line of pushing my envelope and my parameters in the context of Turtle Island as a composer and as a player, which then uh, helps to flesh out in a way into the Western side the implications of what he's doing, but it's still coming from his essential framework. And it's really hard for me to talk about. Porn is so much better about talking about this than I am. So I'm tr- serving this. It's like, uh, as opposed to two guys getting together and jamming and doing something together as a kind of a, I don't know how to explain. I, I can explain what he's trying to, I mean, he can explain, but maybe today he's a yeah. little tired. <laughs> See, but what is happening here is there's a framework that I have come up with from geometry. This is not, see, when you say geometry, people think, oh, there's a patterns, you know, patterns, symmetries, all these things. This is not that. That's more classical use of geometry in music. This is a completely radically new way of doing something which is very modern algebraic, something called modern algebraic geometry, which was developed only in the 1960s. This is not about pattern. This is an extremely abstract model, a framework, where you don't have figures and things like that. You can just write it uh, just to indicate some things. But it is essentially very abstract. And you use that framework to essentially capture sounds not from just one tradition. So you can think of uh, this uh, framework as uh, something moving in a parameter, is a, let's say a structure a musical structure or a mathematical structure or even a social structure like communism or something. You know, it's, it's, it's moving in a parameter, whatever the parameters may be. In the case of music, it's frequencies. So it's moving in a parameter. So if you look at the parameter from vertical side, it gives one genre. If you look at the framework from horizontal position, it gives sound from other genre. So this is a very abstract from this abstract framework, you have to construct 
a musical composition for example so that involves some of the more classical geometry like what is called as erlangen program symmetries and things like that which can be used to describe music of bach for example but this abstract geometric framework is very new so what david is saying is when we are using this geometric framework to come with a composition in a western classical music there are several layers there's a violin first violins second violins will be playing something first violins will be playing something bassoon will be doing something so here there is a quartet so david is one violin i am playing one violin there is jeff on the bass and then there is the percussion so i construct using this framework melodies which need not be in just one key as we saw yesterday so i compose the basic melodies and then i take it to david he now composes harmonies for that much more polyphony polyphony. Uh, polyphony because what he was talking about with the metaraga system is i don't always know what i'm talking about on specifically but the horizontal to me involves the aspect of being able to introduce polyphony and having melodies stacked up on top of each other which you never hear in indian music it's not part of the indian tradition to have polyphony at all that's a purely western aspect of music that evolved in the late medieval period that's a long story but the whole system of indian raga is, is that you you play a tune for my one of my teachers said that um when you're 6 years old your guru gives you your note your saw and your whole life you sing everything in that one saw i never knew if that was true or not but that means joe your whole life you play if you're in the key of e you play in the key of e i've heard stories like indian guys can't play with each other because one guy's in d the other guy's in e, and they can't ever play they literally these are like legends in the west i don't born as here and he might correct me but there is the truth of it and and it's also misunderstood because indian classical music is more purely harmonic than western music people think of it as melodic and it is it's highly developed melody but it's also completely related to the tones against the drone and that's a ver that vertical relationship is so paramountly important to the soul of the music and when they do the uh microtonal gamak uh that comes against the drone that's why you feel it it's because they so locked in to the harmonic relationship of those microtonal expressions against the drone of the foundation. So what Porn is doing by bringing in this algebraic geometric formula is he's introducing the possibility of leaving that, but he wants to keep the soul of the Indian raga there. And so this is where then I come in to be able to take the framework which allows for the possibility of while we're keeping the basic drone we're also now able to move from from one raga to another to places that aren't even in either raga adding in blues elements it's a complicated thing it's not going to get easy to explain in a simple word expression what happens is that that framework has a reflection and a mirror in the western system that i then can bring in and so you'll hear when i'm bringing in my role of, of fleshing out the melodies and the and bringing the polyphony element you'll hear it'll hear that sounds like debussy oh that sounds like a fiddle player playing a fiddle tune that'll sound like a jazz thing you'll hear the western elements but they're arrived at through the framework this is essential difference and my hope and my understanding is that when an indian classical audience hears porn a play in this context they will hear the integrity of the raga system there as opposed to fusion which just kind of jams it together it's a very high objective 
this yeah, vintage thought. Yeah, I mean, so here. much of what we do in the arts today is driven by novelty, for the sake of novelty. Yeah. And this isn't anything like that. It's a natural extent. I, I, I would say this is a, coming from more emotional catharsis than uh, an intellectual thing. It so happens, I think even geometry is a very emotional subject for me. And it is an emotional thing. It is geometry is real life, as some uh, great geometers told. If, because this is about structures and music is about structures. Geometry is about structures. I think of music as geometry and heat. Geometric structures are static. Musical structures move without the parameter of time. There is no music. So geometry is like frozen music or music mm. is like moving geometry. I love it. So I'm now really curious. When you think in geometry and, and you think musically, what's that experience like? I think of fingerboard as a plane and I am drawing figures on that. That's how I improvise. So I'm essentially drawing symmetrical figures and I'm breaking the symmetry and drawing other higher symmetrical figures on the fingerboard. This is how I think when I improvise. I'm not thinking in terms of notes. In other words, you see the pattern and you see the next place before the note is sounded and you I, know I, it's how yes. it's going to sound because yes. if you go to that place. Yes, it's a very closely so. intimate relationship between audio and visual there that's happening here. So when I... So when I improvise, I know this symmetry will give, and the geometric symmetry will give this kind of sound. I know that. There's a lot of practice, but I know this. This I learned by hearing my great music uh, guru, uh, Guru's guru. He, I think he's one of the most geometric musicians. Very complicated patterns. It's beautiful. It's not just patterns. I think there's something deep philosophical, structural thing uh, in his brain, I think. He will not know that, but that's what he is. So ultimately, we are looking at structures. I had a question. Can I ask Porna a question? Because Porna, I'm hearing you speak about that you think you see shapes when you're playing. Do you think your way of seeing that is directly related to your uh, mathematics side? And do other Indian classical violinists see differently, do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have a feeling that it's different. It's not because of mathematics, because of the way... I do these things, I choose mathematics to do. And the way Ms. Gopalakrishnan's brain is structured to think, you know, the way he perceives the universe is that way to structures and things like that. To me also structures. That's why I'm drawn to mathematics. And naturally, when you start doing mathematics more and more, it has an impact on you and it changes you mm. also. So it adds more deeper structures. You would think more and more deeply about structures. And I feel that it is... Uh, at the very foundations of intellectual thought is about structures, so the language. You know, the child recognizes the language and learns because it sees structures, repeated patterns and algorithmic things. Yeah. So it repeats. It associates, ah, this person is saying, whenever he sees that, he says it is an apple. Whenever he sees this, it says an orange. So it sees a pattern there. I don't think we can live without patterns. Uh, in structures, fact, you would, structures. Yeah, structures, uh, patterns, structures. And often when people are suffering uh, mental conditions, either they have lost the ability to create a pattern or structure mm -hmm. or they're stuck on one structure that keeps repeating, 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 and that's, they can't get out of that. There are structures and it becomes kind of a ceiling and you want to break and go, kind of a breathe out, you know, kind of a prison. And... 
look at higher structures. Mm. I just want to add one thing also that uh, Purna is a full yes. professor of mathematics here at the University of Kansas. That's serious. That's a serious thing. He's also one of the finest exponents of the Carnatic Indian classical violin on the planet. That is dead serious. And when he speaks to these things to me, I listen very carefully because he's speaking from a deep understanding of the mathematical side that I'll never have access to. And then when he brings these together, I'm also listening with a great amount of interest to know that he's representing a whole tradition of the mathematics. You know, it really carries a lot of weight for me listening to this. It's not just random philosophy here. Yeah. It's like Coltrane had the same thing. He could play through the most complex changes beyond belief. And then he could play just over one mode and access the spiritual scream that we all recognize in a very gut visceral way. He brought both together. So, But we in the West, we're such yeah. a can-do kind of people. We're so wedded to rationality, which in the West means cause and effect. I set something in motion, and it happens. I can understand things if I can understand what set it in motion. And since some things are very hard to understand, I keep increasing my data set. It's become almost an obsession. Mm. Uh, the hard drives we have, I mean, I think I've got a 250 gig hard drive on my you know, computer at home. This is an enormous amount of information. But we're, as a friend of mine used to say, we're designed this way as human beings to collect information. He said, we're like squirrels who collect acorns. Mm. And good information really mattered. It does. How to really have a good matters. roof, how to get water. But now, because there's so much to be gathered, we almost can't stop gathering it. But that's when you're in a cause and effect relationship right. in the world. And to me, in music, there's always this promise that you're thinking about what you're doing, you're seeing the patterns, you're still essentially making it happen until suddenly it's happening and you're not really making it happen. The bow is playing itself. The pattern is is evolving and you're just along for the ride. Is that you, you're getting you get out of the way in a certain way. A lot of times I think what happens for me anyways is I get in the way. When it's me playing, I, I'm in the way of it. There's a tentativeness and a lost feeling. And then, then I'm back on the ride. I'm on the flow. I'm out of the way. And, and it's happening. But it takes so much preparation to get there. You know, it's, you don't just get that out of the blue. I think I, I, I know precisely what uh, David is saying. Uh, this uh, is a common experience of anybody who is seriously doing music. I'm sure. Uh, what I feel is that when I'm practicing, I get out of the way and I figure out why this happens. Suddenly there's a burst of inspiration and then you play things which you've never practiced. It happens sometimes on the stage too, but more often during practice when you're alone playing and suddenly you realize that you play some fantastic things you've never played before. At least mind says, ah, you played that. You've never played that before and it doesn't come from anything that you've practiced either. And then it takes one hour to repeat what had come very spontaneously. This has happened so often Then I asked myself why this happens. Then I noticed that the sense of I am playing is lost. So when the sense of I am doing is lost, you're hooked directly to the source or whatever it is. Then you become an instrument of the universe rather than you playing an instrument, I feel. As a storyteller... Once in a while, I'll be in the middle of a story. And again, it's this dynamic of I have people listening, which means they're imagining images 
that my story is is creating. And I try to be very careful not to describe too much about a story. So if Jack goes into a house and there's a ghost and he goes upstairs or he goes over to the fireplace, well, unless that's really important to the story, I don't say that because maybe the person has seen a one-story house. And they're not just drawing an image out of nowhere. I'm convinced they're drawing it from the dream state, the same images we have at night. There's something being released and happening to people. But once in a while, something will pop into my head in the middle of a story, some little thing, and some description, or I get a reaction, I can tell. And there's a part of me that wants to then remember that next Mm. time I tell that story to make sure it's there, you know, to gather it like that squirrel with the acorns. Instead of trusting that the great mind will just provide it again if I'm in that space again, or not, if it maybe doesn't need to be there. And to trust rather than to try to grab it and hold it. Because we are in a marketplace, whether we're writers or musicians and so forth. And this is the this is the coin that we trade in. All too true. But we get to a certain age where you suddenly start to say, well, you know, I got to 60. Maybe I can throttle back off this. I don't have to have it all. Or there's an old uh, expression by Plato, and he says, it's an honorable thing when a man goes into the forest and kills game. But it's no dishonor if he doesn't kill all of it. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> Very true. Let some of those notes go. Yeah. And they'll come back later. They'll come back These later. images, you know, maybe they're like little animals. If you lure them in by a quietness of soul yeah. and a sense that I'm not going to turn you into money. I need to be paid and I need to live as an artist. But that's not what this relationship's about. Art finds a way, and and Pornis found his way by he makes his living as a mathematician. And then he shares this incredible music with us. As it's like a miracle to me that he can reach such a exalted level of playing the instrument. And then when he adds the element of of crossing into a new realms, it's kind of where you go. This is why we do this. It's not very practical, but it, it's it it's like there's not a choice. And so you, a lot of, like a lot of things in life that you do, you find did you really have a choice whether to do them or not? You may think you did, but if you look at it, did you? You know, and so that's the mysterious part. And then when you try to own music, it has a way of we all do. I mean, it's a business, so. And I do make my living as a touring, composing, recording musician full-time. I've done that pretty much my entire life to my father's dismay. My father was a mathematician, just like Bornes was. And my father was, unfortunately, I sorely disappointed him in my career choice. And so... But he told Daryl once that he, he thought you did a really good job, didn't he? That's right. That's a very yeah. good point. The, the thing, <laughs> what did he say? Um, Daryl complimented my... Oh, no, my dad complimented Daryl. That's what it was. He it was, came to a concert. And he says, thank you for, for keeping an eye on my son. <laughs> he said that? Yeah, he did. Oh. <laughs> There's so many words. This is so typical like, Indian dad. Yeah, it's, it's like, because that was, you know, like he's going, thank God the guy's got a job of some sort, you know. <laughs> I thought he also approved Darryl, the if music. He, if he knew Daryl, he would know that Daryl was much more crazy and wild, and he would have taken me back immediately and protected me, you know, like very often, you know, the good-appearing boy boy is actually the troublemaker. <laughs> so anyway, the the point of this is that Purna and I have this incredible 
these stories, our stories match in these magical ways, like this mathematics element. The thing that I rejected and and ran from as a kid growing up in Los Angeles with an American mother and a very rebellious soul in the in the rebellious times of the '60s. And so, you know, to go into rock and roll, I'm going to be a rock and roll musician, not a mathematician. And then, what happens in my life? I turn into my father. The kind of musician I become is completely like the composing and, and for string quartet and other and, and improvising in a very high vocabulary way, traveling and publishing just like he did. So essentially, I didn't escape in any way, shape, or form. It took a different form, and then coming and joining with Porna, who my father would, if he was still alive today, he would love Porna so much. He would, it would have been hard for me. <laughs> I would have had a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you like my, you know, be my younger brother getting all the attention? So, <laughs> See, to me, time is so interesting. Of course, in music, time is so essential to everything. Yeah. And we, we in the West call Mother Earth and uh, Father Time. Yeah. And we're, we're like pissed at dad. You know, he took the car keys and won't let us use the car. Mm. So we're very impatient with time. We're constantly filling time with little gadgets we look at or things. We, we can't rest. And I don't know how you can create deeper music without having an ability to slow it down. Right. To rest. That's correct. And be friends with time. Yes. That's right. In, uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, the sacred Indian philosophical text, Krishna says, I am time. Anything can be stopped, but time cannot be stopped. It is relentless. Like, you know, in a music beat, it's relentless. Like heart beats, it's relentless. You can stop breathing for some time, but you cannot stop the heart for a long period of time. This breath and beat is powerful. Breath is like almost like a canvas, like a, as if it's like musical note, and beat, the heart beat, is like the rhythm. Oh. You know, this, these two, without these two, there's out of balance here. So geometry and time. Mm. And I think often in traditional, really old traditional music, the idea was to come out of time, was to play maybe the raga in such a way that you become part of the first time it was ever played, which means it's always being played by a god or whoever mm. first set that pattern in motion. Mm. And you come out of this time and you participate in creativity. In the West, we have the idea of originality being essential to the idea of somebody being creative. They have to be original. I have to do something nobody ever did. Then you're, you're an artist. But in the very old idea, uh, it was to participate in the creative moment, which happened in the first second. And it always is always going on. It's Vishnu. In pre hmm. Preservation, continuation. Um, it, it, one of the tr holy trinity of the Hindu gods. I think that's what you're saying. Cre creation, to. preservation, and destruction. So Vishnu is the one who preserves. See, this, this is yeah. when you said quantum mechanics, it's about micro uh, uh, local phenomenon. In some sense, music is like that. So you have the creation of the particle, it just comes into being and goes out of being to use a language to describe it. In some sense, music, when you play, a note comes into being and it goes. It's like a dance of elementary particles there. And we have all these super, super symmetric structures, super theories of supersymmetry and things like that to describe this phenomenon of quantum mechanics and gravity 
it's kind of at a global scale to local so i always have felt this this improvisation and this musical creation is like creation and destruction of elementary particles that it comes and goes and nobody can control its coming into being and it's going out of being and that weird thing of going from particle to wave and of course there's two ways of looking the same this phenomenon yeah 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 in the waves of music let me ask you just a couple questions when you play do you play harmonics in other words when you play or you're fingering on your fingerboard are you playing harmonics yeah you get a very harmonic sound because of that motion you're doing yeah yes yeah, that's right so sometimes what happens is when i make the bow very soft and go towards the bridge i do get harmonic notes there Huh. But they're not played in the way that you that's would a, play harmonics. But that's a bit unusual. I think that's a Purna uh, yes, uh, innovation to the right. feature of Indian classical violin. Correct. So and he's, it, a, he's innovating. It comes down to uh, my musical grandfather used to do such things. What were you putting on your fingers? Ah, uh, that's uh, because there's some friction on the fingerboard. I want to remove that. Use kind of a it's an oil I use. What kind of oil? Uh, <laughs> this was extra virgin olive oil. Olive oil? Yeah. Extra virgin? Yes. Oh, I like that. <laughs> and the uh, fellow playing the drums was playing, was using a, a rosin-like? Uh, no, he was using powder. Like a talc? Yeah. Yes, Just to yes. keep his fingers softer? Yes, yes. Uh, I love the fact that that was going on. It was like you were constantly reaching and touching something. It was almost like holy water. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the Catholic idea, but it, it, it was part of it's, the motion. reminds me of a trombone player blowing the saliva out of this. <laughs> you know, there's this yeah. physical things that yes. we, we, you know, grease on your fingers, you know, you know, tree sap on the horsehair. It's very organic <laughs> kind of thing. An area I'm interested in also, because if you explore the violin world and all its different corners and shapes, you start looking at physical problems that can arise from the playing of these instruments. And uh, hearing loss is one of them, which I was never aware of because fiddlers bring the fiddle more in front. So it's not right under that ear, where a classical musician will get it up on that shoulder so they can move up and down very easily. And they have very good instruments that have a lot of volume and they get some hearing loss. So you have hearing loss issues. Western musicians have that hearing loss? Yeah. It's, because it's too loud all the time they're doing. Well, David was talking about it. I have a little bit of that, yeah. As you get older as a, a Western violinist, you lose hearing in your left ear. Because you've done so much of Because it, it's this very yes. loud sound under your ear. Yes. It's a very loud instrument. A lot, of, a lot of frequency, a lot of power there. Certainly here, you know. there's no the, such the thing. Is, it's far away from my... One thing I want to comment on in terms of when he's playing, actually you mentioned the idea when it's up here, it's, you, you, there's a truth that when you hold it on your shoulder that you, you allows you to develop the ability to move up and down the fingerboard from to notes to notes. But it's actually uh, facilitates to a much greater extent the way the Indian classical system of playing the violin is in terms of that ease because they grip the violin against their foot. See, the whole reason it's difficult is that you have this thing sticking out from your neck and then gravity wants to pull it down. And so as soon as you move your hand, which is holding it up, it wants to fall. So you hold it with your shoulder here in order to get a, enough movement so you can move. But for the Indian classical system, it's anchored to the foot and therefore it allows much more freedom and so their style of playing, they use the grease in the fingers, that means they can, it fits their style much better than this way because then they can play the uh, gamak, 
style that that is so sophisticated that from a western standpoint joe just try this some you're a violinist take your first finger play a go to b go to c and go try to go fast like this imagine he can play perfectly in tune lightning speed all the way up a scale with one finger that's the indian system if you study it and look at what it really is happening it's miraculous from a violinist standpoint of the western tradition you just your mouth drops I just wanted to illustrate that one point about the the freedom of the left hand is how the violins play. So you have a European developed instrument introduced into India, and they figured out a much better way to play it it's for their system. It doesn't. Well, there's yeah, a problem. I don't, I don't the think problem is I mean, it doesn't. When I hear Heifetz, Chrysler, yeah. oh. Joe, what happens when you have the violin up here is you can use the weight of your arm and the gravity yes. of the of the sound yes. to produce this glorious, huge yeah. sound that exactly. Porno doesn't have access to. Exactly. He doesn't get that in this exactly. lifetime. Yeah. He gets something else, yes. but he doesn't get that. You yes. give up something, and they, they both deliver. The, that delivers to the Western side. His side delivers to the Indian side. But what's beautiful is him reaching across because he loves the Western side. I love the Indian side. We're reaching across towards each other. That makes a lot of sense to me. That's so something very, very Actually, outside. between oh, two of us, we, we form a whole, actually. Yeah. yeah. So he is David, this is Purna here. We complete. That was the, Purna uh, Loka the, title yeah. of the, the title of the concert last night. <laughs> Purna Loka East meets West. We kind of fought that one because that East meets West was used by Yehudi Menuhin and Ravi Shankar in the 60s. There's a title of a record that that's called that. There's a truth to it to a certain degree. Like Porno would say, they already met a long time ago. <laughs> they already met a long time ago. They mated the East and West. The, the, this is the offspring we are talking about. So yeah. this meeting and courtship has happened for a long period. Why do you keep telling East meets West? That's what I said. It's, uh, it's moved on from that. It's growing up. It's, yeah. it's evolving. We're, so. we're talking about an instrument that the ideal violin, every note is good. But you already mentioned the wolf note on the C sharp mm -hmm. and things like that on the violin, just something about it. Uh, last night, I'd mentioned this. You would move into a very fast passage and energy, and then suddenly this you'd play a, just one note, a long pull on the bow, and it made everything make sense. And it just it brought to me so much of the meaning of that music. On your violin, is what's your favorite note or two? Depends on the raga. Not on the violin. Which vi which note does your violin love to play? Oh, that's a good question. For the tone of it? Yeah, just something. Mine happens to be a D. The D on my violin is just whenever I get there, especially in a slower piece of music, it's like, oh, it's home. This instrument wants to make that note. Would you express it in terms of the solfege? Yeah, ga and da, I would say. That's the third and the sixth of the scale. Of a, of a scale. So he's, are you thinking, uh, it, so his instrument's tuned in E. So oh, he's tuned, right. remember, Joe, he's tuned differently than you are. So he's he's not thinking in terms of A, B, C, D. He's thinking of Sarai, Sarai Sa, which is the solfege. So he's thinking on the way his violin's tuned, you would call that G sharp and C sharp or G natural, C natural. But it's not it's not really right to say that because the overtonal system of the tuning of the, of the instrument, the reason you're talking about D, by the way, that's the most common 
note that a violinist would choose in the Western system. Three of the four major violin concertos are written in the key of D. It's the it's because of the fifth the relationship of the of the overtonal system of the f series of two, fifths being tuned that creates a three to this rhythmic ratio. Uh, between the vibrations of the two strings. And so the D is that perfect note that the violin, with not just the violin, but the strings that are tuned that way, that produces these, these places of sonority. Uh, resonance is another word. And you're talking about resonance. So, you know, um, so that's why he would speak of it in a different way. Like he's not going to say C sharp. He's not going to say that. It's I not going to come out that way. No, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I've always thought like, boy, my fiddle just loves that note. But now <laughs> I realize it's because it is in harmony with these other notes and the way it's set up. And it just, it yeah. really sings when it, when I come G to sharp. Note. Correct. Yeah. And? C sharp. C sharp. Or G natural, C natural, not yes, so much? Yes, G, G natural, C natural. Gods. Yeah. God one, God two. God, God, God two and the. Oh, God most, two. okay, mostly C sharp and G sharp. That would be that way. But if you took another Indian classical violinist who was tuning in D, it would be something else. F sharp and yes. B. See, like that's the thing. So you don't thing. think the violin itself has because just the way that wood is and the way that violin's made sometimes just has a no. There's truth place. to that. Like there, your violin, there's truth to that. Of course, any maker would know. And you, there's truth to that, especially in the Western system. You just have to understand our understanding of it is based on the tuning of the instrument, which stays the same. Those guys, one guy's tuning E, e flat. They're going to tune in different pitches. Their saw doesn't stay the same in the tuning, but it stays the same for them. Their life is spent in that that tonality that they choose that the instrument chooses i also play with other that's true actually. i play an f yeah and i also play at very low it sounds like a viola i i'll tell you what i do it is uh, b b and then what is pa this is true i just want yeah. to make a point that he's yeah. playing on two instruments that are tuned differently yes what classical violence do you know that tune their instrument to different to f so See. last night you played on two different instruments? No. no. Last I'm night just, was one instrument. The, still, the point that I'm making is important. Is yes, The Western correct. system is universal correct. tune the violin. It's exactly. Unless you do something called scordatura, That's right. which is very, very unusually done. Fiddle players do it a little bit more. The Indian system doesn't have that, right. that kind of uh, context. It's to, a relative. It's, it's they, relative. Each musician has their own solutions to these things. So it's, it's, it's some of these ideas of tone, that the aesthetics of tone on a violin from a Western standpoint, we talk about it differently than, than Indian yes. classical violins we talk so about. So in, in terms of numbers, we used to say when we were little, pitch one, one and a half, two, two and a half. So Western violin is always sound attuned to the seven, that is GDAE, that kind of thing. It's always GDAE, right? Come watch me, any Western violin is tuned to GDAE. That's why we could name those strings GDA. Now, for jazz musicians, huh. they also let go of the pitch oh, and use a number system. So yeah. in jazz, you do a very similar thing because you're you're improvising, and so instead of thinking pitches, you use a number system, which allows you to change and modulate into different keys. And so jazz musicians like myself, I'll think a lot of times in, in number systems against a key area. Mm. It's a very highly developed language of improvising, 
that takes years of training to accomplish. That's based on the same idea of starting, getting away from the pitch identity GD and getting more. That's the second degree. That's the third degree. Now, when I'm improvising, I'm not thinking that. I can't think like that, but I train it into myself. I know immediately what I'm doing if you make me slow down and think about it. But when it's happening, it's it's happening at a much faster speed based on this same kind of numerical system approach to the violin that a classical violinist doesn't have. So many of the people that I've talked to that are players in, in the Western tradition, uh, the bow is a huge part of it. And they will spend often their lives looking for the perfect bow. Even when they think they've got the right violin, they're still looking for the bow. How important is the bow in the music you play? It's very important. But very unfortunately, I don't think I have a good bow. Because I tried once uh, David's bow. My God, it was really easy to play. I think I should look for a bow. This man has changed my life in many ways. I've given him a taste of what he could have. He's going to lose a lot of money very soon. <laughs> <laughs> One aspect of it. He's, he deserves to have better equipment. A lot of times it, it happens that musicians will become incredibly great using tools. As a bluegrass guy would say, that boy can get tone out of a gourd. You know, and so important is one of those guys. But just giving him my violin, I let him take my violin, tune it down to eat. My violin hated that, Joe. It just was miserable for days afterwards. But so I let him tune it. I had him tune it to one five, one five, you know, E, B, E, B. Let him play my nice French bow. This is a modern Italian violin. I have a Ansaldo Poggi, really nice modern Italian violin. And it, it, it was just, my God, listen to him now. And I said, give me that back. <laughs> no, just kidding. It's, much it, it's, it's like, oh. the thing is, it would, a different sound, a different violin from that standpoint um, would, would change the aesthetic voice playing. I don't know where he would go with it. Like your point about German violins, it could be that if you sat him in a room, he, without knowing some these ideas, he might really, like you said, go like bluegrass tradition. I wouldn't be surprised pick, pick at all. Yeah. But I think you're right because I know the, the bluegrass is like those German violin sound. It's the tubbier sound is what you think of it. It goes with the steel strength. And it would be fascinating what a process might be if he were to work with a violin maker, yeah. how much the violin maker would need to understand your music and what a journey for that person. This is a great artist in residency for next year as you – have a violin maker come and stay with you. Oh, the poor guy. He'd be making violins <laughs> take three months and failure after failure until he found one that worked. I, the poor guy. He could just no, picture. I, 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 <laughs> bad idea. no, I would prefer uh, if, if there's anybody out uh, if somebody in the residence to come, I would prefer David to come again because we can get a lot well, of work done. very sweet of him to say. There's a lot of work done. Hopefully yeah. they will have him back. Issues. The posture, sitting down, cross-legged, and so forth, are there any times when you have to adapt because you you do get sore or you get repetitive motion illness or any of that? I don't uh, usually, you know, I'm also thin, you know, wiry. So it, does, it helps. But certainly people who have had hip operations and all, they find it difficult to sit on the floor. My musical grandfather, unfortunately, one day fell down. Afterwards, he couldn't squat on the floor. So he had to sit on the chair and play. It was very difficult. And still, he was very, very good. <laughs> you know, he really, Porna has educated me to some degree. His musical grandfather is the heifetz of the Indian classical violin system. And, and I can hear it. And, and it's pretty commonly acknowledged even if he's not the most famous Indian musician in the world, he was, he gets that. 
And one thing I would point out with the way he plays is he's not just playing the Indian gamak style, which he can do incredibly, but he takes this geometric thing that Porner's talking about. Of all the Indian classical violinists I've heard, he's the most like the Westerners. It's like hearing an insane jazz guy going nuts on a mode, like just total access to uh, a melodic development of pitch versus what you hear very commonly is the sliding in between more from the tradition. Um, is that fair to say, Porn? Very correct. Yeah. And he was, he was the only musician, I think, who used to do this, take a composition, a very difficult thing. So he plays with the sa, tuned sa, basic note, the drone. Then you can say, Say, you know, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Do is the basic note. Then you can re, you can keep, shift the key to re. And then play the same varnam from uh, the composition, which is very difficult from that. And then take next note and play. And that's where he's coming in. Yes. He's taking that and going further. He's, and he's, he, if, if my musical grandfather were, were, if I were to give him this, he would just blast this through outer space. There is nobody born like him. This is how even other legendary musicians tell about him. There's nobody born like him. There's nobody now. Nobody will be like him. Check him out. MS Gopalakrishnan, uh, Heifetz, Coltrane. He's on that level. He's one yeah. of those guys. Uh, from the, in, there. those, there's those special souls, and he's one of them. Up there and beyond. How kind was he as a teacher or difficult? Uh, I am his biographer too, so I'm writing his biography. So I spent uh, four, four or five years very close to him. Uh, I have written some articles, I can send it to you. This is exactly the feeling I used to get. I used to go to his house, get out of the house after interviewing him. I used to f feel cleansed, like of all impurities. In all of my conversations, I very rarely heard him speak of I. Never. I took my wife. Maybe I'm biased. You know, after all I missed. And then after uh, uh, the conversation, we went and I asked him, what do you think? He says, this is truly humble man I've seen. And he doesn't give a damn to anything. This is what your wife said. Yeah. yeah. That's a good place to get us out of here, unless you're all, you were no, done. done. And thank you very much. I really yeah. appreciate you taking the time. That was really cool. I learned a lot in that. I will conclude this podcast with a portion of the concert that Porna and David performed at the Lawrence Arts Center in 2017. In this part of the concert, they bring together both their styles of music into something quite unique.
Thank you for listening to Rosin the Bow, an audio journey through the world of the violin family. Rosin the Bow is produced by Joe and Paula McHugh in the studios of the Raven Radio Theater. Our theme music was arranged and performed by the string quartet, The Fretless. And I'd like to thank Terry Setter for helping produce this podcast. And also the kind people in Lawrence, Kansas, the School of Music at the University of Kansas, the Hall Center for the Humanities, and Kansas Public Radio. And let me now leave you with a quote from the Australian author Gregory David Roberts. Indians are the Italians of Asia, and vice versa. Every man in both countries is a singer when he is happy, and every woman is a dancer when she walks to the shop at the corner. For them, food is the music inside the body, and music is the food inside the heart. Thank you.